everybody. It's good to be together this, this morning, man. I'm, I'm excited. Uh, I, uh, it's, it's most weeks that I, that I preach, I feel um, on Saturday night, I kind of carry a, I feel pregnant, to be honest. I've never been pregnant, and I probably never will. But uh, on, a, on a Saturday night, when, I, when I've prepared, and I, I know that, that God has got something to say, I, I, I really do. I, I, I feel that, that there's a sense of urgency. Lindsay's pregnant. She's got three weeks to go. And Lindsay, I, I want you to know, wherever you are, I, I don't quite understand, but I kind of understand. Uh, there's, there's something that needs to come out. There's something that needs to come out. And um, I'm, excited for, I'm excited for this morning. I'm, I, I carry a word that I, I feel God is wanting to give birth and uh, bring new life. To, to some people this morning. And we, uh, we, we, I'm closing off our series called uh, Saved For. So if this is your first week here, you've come into the middle of, a, you've come at the end of a good series. And uh, it's been, I've found it incredibly helpful and I trust that it's been helpful for you also, those of you that have been here. If you've missed any of the messages, jump onto our website, anthem.org.za, wherever you get podcasts, where you'll find we've got a podcast channel. Uh, go and listen to some of the message. Our YouTube channel, your, there's videos. It might be better to, you can listen to me, then look at Sifle, and then you can listen to me. It's better, it's better to look at, at, at Sifle than to look at me. But uh, we, we spend a lot of time in the church speaking about what we've been saved from and what we've been saved into. So the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. We spend a lot of time speaking about that, but we spend very little time speaking about what, what we've been saved for. What's the purpose of our salvation? Right? If the only purpose of your salvation was for you to get to heaven, then when you gave your life to Jesus, you'd die and go to heaven, your purpose would be fulfilled, right? But there seems to be, no, not, not there seems to be, there is an earthly purpose as well as an eternal purpose for your salvation. What are you saved for? And I started off the first week looking at our beliefs. We saved to change our core beliefs that we hold on to so that, that they can impact how we live here on earth. As a man thinks in his heart, it's your beliefs, so is he. Then Sikhle spoke last week around, uh, we've been saved for a commission. Go and make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded. You didn't see smash it last week? Yes, he did so well. So I know that he always gets to rag me because he introduces me. I very seldom get to rag him. But uh, around the office, I call him Shishle. And that's not because I, I can't pronounce Sikhle. That's because every time he preaches, I say Shish. He preached well. And so, Shishle, if you see him, uh, you can call him, I'll give you permission to call him Shishle instead of Sikhle. So, in, the, in that scripture that, that um, she spoke on, today I want to speak about a theology of work. Sorry, I've changed the scripture. Sue, that wasn't you, that was me. Um, I want to speak today on the theology of work. So, we spoke about. Um, our beliefs, we spoke about our commission to make disciples, and today I want to speak about how do we make disciples, a, a theology of work. And um, see, shared out of Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. The, the problem is there is at least four verbs in that sentence, right? Go and make disciples, go, make disciples, baptize them, Teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. When many people, many people don't know that scripture, don't know the, the commission that we have received, and of those that do know it, the only verb that they read in there is go. So when, when the verb that you read in there is go, it's wonderful. You go on a mission trip and you go here and you go there. That's fantastic. Actually, the key verb, the key verb there is make disciples. As you go, Jesus says, as you go, wherever you go, make disciples. So the, 
go is incidental. Make disciples is the crux, is the key of that entire scripture. Being a disciple is a choice. It's a choice for everyone. I'm a, I'm a disciple by choice, not by chance. I'm a disciple by choice. Uh, I'm a Christian because I trust Jesus. And I'm a disciple because I wake up every single day and I choose to follow Jesus, to follow him. I want to be with him. I want to become like him. And I want to do the things that he did. It's a choice every single day. But where I put the verb in this is very important. The verb, if you, if you finish school, you would know that a verb is a doing word. Right? Where I put the verb is very important. Because it's what I do. When I put it in the right place, not only do I keep choosing, making a choice, it's a doing word, to be a disciple, but I also keep a doing word, making disciples. I, I don't think enough people see discipleship or following Jesus as a verb, something that we do. We see it as an adjective. So Christian is a noun. A noun is a naming word. It's who I am. And we see discipleship perhaps as an adjective. It describes, it describes the type of Christian that I am. No, friends, disciple is not an adjective. Disciple is a verb. Do it. Salvation is something that happens without any input from me. All that I have to do, or the, the only thing that I contribute to salvation is the sin that made it necessary. All I need to do is place my trust in Jesus by grace through faith, and I'm saved. That's all I need to do. But to be a disciple, I'm a disciple by choice. Every single day I need to get up and choose to follow Jesus. That's something that I do. And then if, I, if I'm to fulfill a great commission that Jesus has given to me, it's something that I, that I also have to do. If discipleship is a verb, I need to get up every day and do something about it. We have to make Christian the noun describing us and disciple the verb what we do. Christian describes who I am, and disciple describes what I do. I follow Jesus, and I want to work hard to make others follow Jesus also. So is disciple your verb? Does disciple describe what you do? Do you work hard at following Jesus, at changing your deeply held beliefs, and at making other people his disciples also, teaching them to obey everything that he has taught you? What I do is what I work at. So to have a discussion on a theology of work is actually to have a discussion on discipleship. Because discipleship should be what I do. We have to give people the right vocabulary for discipleship. We need to teach, we need to train people with the, with the right words on discipleship. If we give them the wrong vocabulary, then we can think that we do a discipleship course and then we graduate the discipleship course and we're done. Okay, what, can I move on to the next thing? after I've graduated discipleship course. No, friends, everything that we do is discipleship. Everything that I do, everything that I do, because it's a verb, it describes my process of being with Jesus, of becoming like Jesus, and of doing the things that Jesus did, and then of wanting others to do the same. It's something that I do. I'm not a disciple on a Sunday, and then a student on Monday, or a worker, or a business owner on Monday. I'm constantly doing something. Who am I becoming by the things that I'm doing? Galatians chapter 5, Paul writes this in verse 25. Since this is the kind of life we've chosen, the life of the Spirit, let us make sure that we don't just hold it as an idea in our heads or a sentiment in our hearts, but we work out its implications in every detail of our lives. 
not just an idea in your head, not just the sentiments in your heart. How many Christians have ideas in their heads and sentiments in their hearts, but we never work out its implications in every single detail of our lives? If I'm to be a disciple, if that's what I do, it has to have implications for every single area of my life. What you do for a living, how you spend your life, your work, is how the mission of God on earth is worked out. It's not a side hustle that you do when you're not at church being a Christian. No, it's how you work out being a Christian. What you do from Monday to Saturday is the purpose of your salvation. Jesus says to Peter, uh, Peter, you aren't a Christian fisherman. I'm going to make you, you are a fishing Christian. Not a Christian fisherman. You're a fishing Christian. I'm going to teach you to take the thing that you do, your work, your everyday life, and as you become a better follower of Jesus, so your work will carry a new purpose. You won't only fish to catch fish, he says to him, I'll teach you to fish. As you follow me, I'll teach you to fish to catch men. If he'd been speaking to Peter, if, if he'd sp- but speak, speaking to Luke in that moment, Luke was a doctor, he would have said to Luke, you're not only going to heal bodies, I'm going to teach you to heal souls too. If he'd spoken to a tax collector or an accountant, he would have said, I'm going to teach you not only to balance books, but to balance lives. He says, I'm going to take the thing that you do, your work, every implication for every area of your life, and I'm going to teach you to do it for a different purpose. It becomes your verb, disciple. Take your work, the thing that you do every day. Make discipleship your verb, the thing that you actually do, so that its implications can be worked out in every single detail of your life. A man called Mark Green uh, says this, said this at a conference, which struck to me. The church has failed to embrace the workplace as a place of discipleship. There's two strategies for reaching the world. Number one, to recruit the people of God to use some of their leisure time to join the missionary initiatives of the church-paid staff. Or secondly, to equip the people of God for fruitful mission in all of their lives. Which of those do you which of those do you subscribe to? Some of your leisure time to join the perch, the church paid workers or all of the people of God equipped for fruitful mission in all of their lives. Friends, the workplace is your primary place of discipleship. The primary platform for your discipleship is your workplace, your home, your community. Gathering with the church on a Sunday for an hour and a half is not the place that discipleship pl- takes place. It's just the training ground. What we're doing today is not discipleship. This is just a training ground. The place that we receive instruction in the way of Jesus, and then we take our Monday to Saturday life, and we work out ev- the implications in every single detail of our lives. I choose every day to be with Jesus. I choose every day to become like Jesus. I choose every day to do the things that Jesus did. To be, in other words, to be a follower of Jesus, a disciple. We have to develop a healthy theology of work, a healthy understanding that what I do every single day impacts my faith. Everything that I do has spiritual implications. Who am I becoming by the things that I'm doing? Who are you becoming by how you work? Who are the, who are the people around you becoming by how you work? So we try and balance what we do with being a Christian. But which is a more biblical strategy? To try and convince the church to use a little bit of their leftover time? We don't have much leftover time, right? So we, we try, 
which is a better strategy, to, to convince people in the, in the little bit of leftover time that they have to join the work of being a Christian or to equip the people of God for fruitful mission in all of their life, where you live, where you work, where you breathe, where you exist. Of course, it's that one. It's not about balancing our lives between being a Christian and then being a worker. It's about integration. It's about allowing discipleship and, a Christ, and being a Christian to permeate every area of my life. Integration is better than balance. The kingdom has to permeate and integrate into every single area of my life. A few years ago, I was working as a project manager on quite a big development, and we had a guy pitching us, and we, we, were, we were building <clears throat> vegetable gardens, and we had a guy pitching to us a new hose that uh, he was um, marketing. I said, that's awesome. What does the hose do? He said, no, this is a special hose. It leaks. I said, it sounds like every hose I've ever had. He said, no, this is a special hose. It leaks with a purpose. It's designed to sweat. It's designed to leak. And so you, you lay it underneath your vegetable patch, and when you turn the tap on, uh, it's got a stopper at the end. And so the hose fills with water, but it's designed to leak at a very, uh, at a very specific rate, a very low rate of, of leaking, and it sweats. And so what happens is the entire vegetable garden is permeated with water under the surface. It's not flooded but it's also not evaporated. So that water integrates and permeates the entire vegetable patch because it leaks with a purpose. Friends, I think too many people as, as Christians, we, we, we think of our Christian life as a bucket, right? I'm going to water my vegetable garden with a bucket and I'll take a little bit of my Sunday Christianity and I'll pour it in my vegetable garden and I'll pour it in my vegetable garden. And Jesus says, no, it, it's every single detail of your life. The kingdom of God, being a disciple, has to permeate underground. It has to get to my root system. It's not just a bucket here with a bit of pour there, and I fill the bucket up, and then I pour, and then when the bucket's empty, I've got nothing more to give. And so I, my leisure time is out. I've got no more spare time to give to the kingdom, therefore I just don't follow Jesus. No, it's, it's, it's every single area. You've got it the, the wrong way around. This is what integration is. I allow the verb of my life, the thing that I do, disciple, to permeate every area. And so many people think that work is the opposite of the gospel. The gospel is grace. And we think that's the opposite of work. No, friends, we're saved by grace through faith for the purpose of work. We're saved for the purpose of work. Paul writes to the Ephesian church in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We're not created, we're not created to um, ha have fun we're not created to, to, to relax and, and worship. We're created to do good works. Created to do good works. Too many people have, too many people have thought of work as opposed to grace. Uh, no, it's up to God. It's, it's all just grace. I'll wait for God to do something. That's what it means to trust in grace. No, friends. Grace does what I'm unable to do. It makes a way for me to be forgiven by a holy God. But it also empowers me to do the work that God has called me to do. Grace makes me a better worker. Christians should be the hardest working people on the planet because we have grace. Work is not opposed to grace. Actually, work is a product of grace. The more I understand grace, the, 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 the more I'm immersed in God's grace, the more I work. The harder I work, the more fruitful my work is. Work is not opposed to grace. Work is a product of grace. Grace produces more work in me.
I once heard of good works described as flowers. When you want to win a girl, you might give her flowers. So I know that the temptation today is just to slide into your DMs with a, hey girl, what's up? All right? I can promise you, it's a temptation. I promise you, flowers are better. That's for free. So when you're not dating a girl, you want to win her affection, right? You want to get her to love you and catch her attention. So you give her flowers. When you're married, you don't give your wife flowers to get her to love you, unless you've done something. But you don't, you don't give your wife flowers to get her to love you. You get her flowers to show her how much you love her, right? Good works are the same. I cannot win God's affection. I can't, win, I can't win God's approval by doing good works. I can't get God to love me by doing good works. I can't, can't, can't get him to love me more by doing good works. But when, I'm, when I understand grace, when I'm in Christ, I can do good works to show that I'm in Christ. Grace produces good work in me. Grace is not opposed to work. It's a product. Work is a product of grace. How do, you, how do you work hard? How do you make disciple the verb of your life, what you do, and Christian the noun, the thing that describes you? One of the ways that you can do that is by serving others with your gifts and your passions. We always serve God by serving others with what God has given us to do. And when, when we have the gifting discussion, too many people think that there's only spiritual gifts. So it's true that Paul says to the Corinthian church, eagerly desire the greater gifts, but, there's, but m- most of your highest calling is not to stand on stage and preach. Lord knows most of your highest calling is not to lead worship. I've heard some of you sing. It's not your calling. <laughs> Find something else. <laughs> right? Eagerly desire the greater gifts, that's fine, but work with the gifts God's given you. Right? There's not only spiritual gifts. See, most gifts serve the scattered church. Only some gifts serve the gathered church. So when when we gather on a Sunday, I get to serve the church. If I've got a gift, if I've got a gift of preaching, I I get to serve the church when it gathers. Most people that don't have a gift of leadership or preaching or perhaps leading worship serve the church when it scatters. Right? Monday to Saturday, the church is not gathered, it's scattered. Serve the church with your gift there. It's as simple as that. You want disciple to be the verb of your life, work hard and serve others by developing the gifts that God has given you. It's highly likely that your gift serves the church from Monday to Saturday and not necessarily on a Sunday. It's important that you grow and develop your gift and at the same time, eagerly desire the greater gifts. So let's, get, let's quickly get into a little bit of a theology of work. What does the Bible have to say about our work? What does God have to say about our work through the Bible? Is that a mouse? <laughs> Number, firstly, work is a mandate. Second, in Genesis chapter 2, it says this in verse 15. The Lord God took the man, Adam, and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. So don't forget that this is before the fall. This is before sin has entered the world. Work is a mandate and a purpose of humanity, not a consequence of sin. Only, right? We work because God created us to work. We were created in Christ Jesus to do good works. In Genesis, before sin enters, so work is not only a consequence of sin, it's a purpose and a design of, the, of a creator. And the word that's translated here as work and take care of also means to cultivate, to cultivate and, 
interestingly, one of the words that's translated the same there as, as, as work and take care of is husband. It's the husband. God says, to Adam, God says to Adam, husband the earth. Cultivate it. Take care of it. Steward it. Make it better through your work. That's what it means to husband. If you, if, if, do you want to be a husband? Are you looking for a husband? Look for somebody that can cultivate, steward, make better through their work. That's what it means to husband. So according to Genesis chapter 2, there are two central purposes for humanity. To reproduce and to work. Reproducing is a cultural mandate and working is to cultivate and subdue all of the earth, all of creation. So God mandates, he mandates us to reproduce because he wants creation to constantly and consistently be cultivated. So he says, cultivate it and then reproduce so that what I've created will always be cultivated. It will always have a husband. It will always be stewarded. We know that then sin enters the world and it severs that. And God says, that's fine. I'm going to send Jesus to be husband to the bride, the church. Isn't that a beautiful picture of redemption? Let's take a little bit closer look at the mandate. If work is a mandate, what does it mean to work? So firstly, work is given according to biblical dignity. In John chapter 5, verse 17 says, Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. Quite simply, we work because work is what God is doing. So I know that for many people in this country, this is a, this is a little bit of a raw topic. We live in a, a high unemployment rate country. I've been retrenched from a job before. I know the pain that it comes with. Many in this room have lost jobs and many are currently unemployed. And too many people still are, are currently employed and their employment is not giving them dignity. It's employment that degrades instead of given according to biblical dignity. Friends, in the church, we should be celebrating job creation as much as we celebrate taking care of the vulnerable. Both of them are biblical justice issues. Creating the ability to give dignity through work is a biblical justice issue. If you're unemployed today, don't be lazily unemployed. There's a difference between being unemployed and being unemployable. If you're unemployed, that's okay. You can work to make yourself employable. If you're doing that, you can then trust God for what's not in your hands to create a job, right? You can trust a community and you can trust God, but you've still got to work to make yourself employable. If you're an employer, it doesn't matter the position that you employ a person to fill, always make sure that you give them dignity. How do you treat them? How do you pay them? Is it according to biblical dignity? If not, then it's a biblical justice issue. Secondly, work is a divine commandment. A couple of scriptures here. I'm going to read through them quickly. Exodus chapter 20. Six days, God says, you shall labor and do all of your work. Right? We focus on day seven, you will rest. But before he says day seven, you'll rest, he says, work for six days. It's a commandment. Second Thessalonians chapter 3. Paul says, even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. And he says, mind your own business. Work with your hands. 
Work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and that you, not be, and you will not be dependent on anyone. Ephesians chapter 4. Anyone who has been stealing must no longer steal but must work, doing something useful with their own hands. Why? It says, don't steal, you must work so that you can have something to share with those in need. He says, the greater, the greater thing is work so that you've got enough to give to somebody else. That's why you must work. It's a commandment. So not only have we been created to do good works, but we've all been given the responsibility to work and to cultivate all that God has created. And then God also, on top of that, commands us work. Again, when I speak about work here, the unemployed person is not excluded. If you are actively seeking employment, if you're making yourself employable by how, would you, how you steward your gifts that God has given you, then you are obeying this command, even if you're not employed. It's not only a command to work, though. It's a command to bring purpose to your work. Remember, the purpose of our work is to create disciples. Disciple is a verb, and it describes the thing that I do as I live my life. So to have a job is great, but am I becoming, is there a purpose to my work? Am I becoming a better disciple, and, and am I discipling others through my work? Martin Luther, you might have heard of him. He was a man who lived in the 1500s. And he looked at the state of the church at the 1500s and he realized that salvation was out of the reach of many um, poor people because the, what, what was happening is the church was selling what was called indulgences and they were selling uh, favors. They were selling pardons and forgiveness to wealthy people getting rich and the poor people could not afford them. So salvation in, for all intents and purposes was out of their grasp. And he looked at this and uh, you might have heard of the Reformation. It started with Martin Luther and uh, his revelation was uh, Romans chapter 1, the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. You're not saved by your works. Giving, giving uh, money to the church isn't saving you. The, the just shall live by faith. In other words, everybody. It's accessible to everybody. So that's what he's known for. He's known for opposing works. That's what he reformed the church on. And this is, I love this quote from him. God doesn't need your good works. God doesn't need your good works but your neighbor does. We spoke about flowers. We do good works after we save, not to try and get God to love us more, but to, to prove to others, to show others that we are saved. James goes on and he says, you've got faith, that's great. He says, I'll show you my faith by my works. And don't speak about grace and faith, that, that's great. I'll, show me your faith. Show me, your, show me that grace has permeated every area of your life by how you work, by what you do. So all of these things are spiritual issues. All of them are discipleship issues. I want to be with Jesus. I want to become like him and do the things that he did. But I also want others to do the same. Of, of course, it's who I'm becoming by the things that I'm doing. But it's also who are my neighbors becoming by the work that I'm doing. Of course, who, who am I becoming by what I'm doing? But who are my neighbors becoming? Who are my employees becoming? Who are my co-workers becoming? Who are my friends becoming? Who is my community becoming by, the, by how I'm working? Next, work is the medium through which we put our talents to good use. We, through which we steward our talents. Exodus 35 says this, I love it. And he had given both him and Oheliab. You would have heard of Bezalel and Oheliab, which has spoken about them many times. He says he's given them, these two guys, the ability to work. And then it goes on in verse 34, it says, the ability to teach others. 
Not only to work, but to teach others. And he's filled them with skills to do all of these things in building the temple, skilled workers and designers, and also the ability to teach others to do the same thing. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 3 says, Commit whatever you do to the Lord, and he will establish your plans. I need to be honest here for a minute. Sometimes Christians can frustrate me. They really can. I was part of an, uh, an international seminar this week online on church leadership, and a guy asks a question. He says, I'm in a small town that's rapidly grown, and it's, it, it, it was obviously an, a pre-industrial town. It was really small. It is, it is burgeoned and, 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 and taken off and grown a lot, and it's mostly filled with people who were here, but the church is filled with people who were here before the massive explosion, and the city feels as if it's progressed past the church, and most of them in the church where he lives seem unwilling to adapt to their new world. And so he's asking this seminar of, of, of leaders around the world, what, what can I do? What do you suggest that I can do to, to address this imbalance? And so one lady comments, just trust the Holy Spirit. That's wonderful. Thank you very much. So it's true that this is a work of the Holy Spirit. It's Jesus that builds his church. It's not us. Jesus builds his church, right? But I think often, and too often, we settle for what essentially equates to religious nonsense simply because we don't work hard or know the answer. So you need more than bananas to make banana bread. Did you know that? It's more than bananas to make banana bread. You cannot make banana bread without bananas. You've just made bread. But if you want to make banana bread, you have to have bananas and you need something else, right? If somebody comes to me and says, how do I make banana bread? I can't just say to him, take bananas, trust the Holy Spirit. <laughs> make sense? How come we look at our marriages, we look at our businesses, we look at our relationships, we look at our ministry, we look at the church, and we have that same mindset? <laughs> it's just the Holy Spirit. Is there more? Does Jesus, it's, it's, it's true. We cannot do it without the Holy Spirit. Jesus builds his church. But is, is there more than bananas that we need to make banana bread? Work is the medium through which we put our talents to use. Lastly, work must be done with dedication. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 says, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all of your might. If you are hitting someone, do it with all of your might. No, it doesn't say that. It says, what, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all of your might, unless you're hitting someone. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 9, one who is slack in his work is the brother to one who destroys. If you're slack in your work, your brother, you are the brother to the one who destroys, right? They're very closely linked. So you're stuck in a job that you don't like. I need to remember that how I work is an indicator of my spirituality. See, a worker with a bad attitude and a poor work ethic isn't only a bad worker, they're actually just a poor Christian. A worker with a poor attitude and a bad work ethic is not only a bad worker, they are a bad Christian, a poor Christian. I love this quote again, Martin Luther. The Christian shoemaker doesn't do his duty by putting little crosses on his shoes but by making good shoes, because God is interested in good craftsmanship. The Christian businessman doesn't do his duty by putting God bless you in his email signature, 
but by working hard, by obeying the law, by treating his employees with biblical dignity, and by doing a flipping good job. Because God is interested in flipping good jobs. Grace empowers me to work. Christians should be the hardest working people on the planet. Because excellence honors God and it inspires people. When we speak on a Sunday very quickly about when we have, when we have a giving minute, which we didn't do this morning, but when we have a giving minute, we normally speak about generosity. And the reason we highlight a value of generosity is because it's within everybody's grasp to be generous. From the wealthiest to the least wealthy, everybody can be generous. When we speak about a theology of work, the, the, the value that we speak about is excellence because everybody can be excellent. From the most skilled to the least skilled, from the menial employee to the CEO and the MD, everybody can be excellent. Excellence is within every single person's grasp. We don't chase perfection. Perfection kills, but we chase excellence because excellence honors God and it inspires people. Does the way that you work honor God and does it inspire people? I want to close with this scripture that Paul writes to the Colossian church in uh, chapter 3. He says this, Whatever you do, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as if you were working for the Lord, not for a human master, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ that you are serving. He says it doesn't matter if you're a slave, a temporary worker, if you're a domestic worker, if you're a student, if you're a stay-at-home parent, if you're a business owner or a corporate CEO, he says, whatever you do, do it as if you are doing it to the Lord. If God had asked you to do the job you're doing right now, would you do it the same or would you do it differently? If God was the one who had asked you to do it, right? I can get my kids, so go and tell your brother to do that, right? It's very different if I ask them, go and do that. Somehow they do a different job, right? If brother asks them, it's not a great job. If I ask them, they know there's a consequence to it if they don't do it, right? Paul says, do your work as if you're doing, he says, you're not working for human masters. You're not working for a boss. You're working for God because you were created in Christ to do good works. So if God had asked you, he hadn't said tell your brother, if God had asked you to do the job that you are doing, would you do it differently or would you do it the same as you're doing it now? If you would do it differently, might I suggest it's a problem. Excellence honors God and inspires people. We've all been mandated to work. We've all been mandated to cultivate and steward all of creation, to give people dignity through work, and to use the gifts that God has given me to serve Him by serving others and to do it excellently. Grace is not opposed to work. Grace empowers my work. My work is a product of grace. People can become followers of Christ by how you work. If disciple is a verb, it's something that you do. People can become followers of Christ by how you work. Can you stand with me, please?